You're listening to the Bonfire Podcast, fanning the flames of the gospel to the ends of the world. Come on, let's dive into the Word. Well, welcome to the Bonfire Podcast, everyone. We are glad you are joining us for yet another episode. If this is your first time listening, we'd like to say welcome to you. I encourage you to come on in, stay a while, listen to what we have to say. And uh, we would encourage you to also go listen to some of our older episodes. And if you like what you're hearing uh, and you have not done so already, please become a subscriber. You can do that by hitting the subscribe button on any of the applications uh, that you're listening to us uh, through. And then you'll get those episodes uh, downloaded to your mobile device each and every week when we release content. We try to do our best to release content every week. Uh, on Sunday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And so by becoming a subscriber, again, you're going to get that as soon as those episodes are released. Um, We do want to encourage you, if you have not done so already, shoot us an email. I'd like to hear who our listeners are and where you're listening from. So you can email us at bonefireministries at gmail.com. Uh, just drop a, a quick note to say hello. Maybe uh, tell us where you're listening from. If you have a question or a prayer request, we'd be happy uh, to help you with that. And then uh, last request for you, we want to see this Bonefire family grow. And so I would encourage you uh, to find someone uh, this week and tell them about the Bonefire podcast. That uh, could be someone that you work with. It can be a family member, maybe someone you go to church with. Um, that you want to share the Bonfire Podcast. We'd love to see the word get out and have uh, more uh, listeners listening uh, to us each and every week. Uh, well, Dad, we are uh, back at it again. We're going to be in our series that we've entitled Dear Church. Uh, this is our, our fourth installment um, through the seven l- short letters from Jesus to seven churches found in the book of Revelation. And thus far, we've covered three of the letters. And uh, this week, we're going to be diving in to the fourth letter. If you missed any of those previous episodes, though, I would encourage you to go check them out, particularly for this episode. The previous episode is pretty important because we're going to find some similarities between uh, the church at uh, Pergamos, and today we're going to be talking about the church at Thyatira. And so uh, check that episode out. It'll maybe help you as you're studying here. So in this fourth letter, as I've always already alluded to, we are going to be talking about the church at Thyatira. And uh, Thyatira was a a bustling trade center, and it had many trade organizations. Uh, Geographically, it was located in a valley between Pergamos and Sardis, and uh, it was a small place. It was so small that it had no fortification um, other than it was just protected by a Roman garrison. Interestingly, uh, the city of Thyatira, though small, uh, and maybe the least significant of all the cities that we've covered thus far, receives the longest letter. I like to say this was a little price uh, with a big problem, and we're going to talk more about that in just a little bit. Dad, you've got some more information about uh, Thyatira. Share that with our listeners. Sure. Besides the military aspect, the greatest significance of this city was its trade unions and guilds. Many things were probably produced in Thyatira, but it is most noted for the production of purple goods. A purple dye was very expensive, and only the rich could afford garments dyed purple. The Apostle Paul's first convert in Europe was a woman from Thyatira who was living in Philippi selling purple cloth, and her name was Lydia. Now, some people believed that not long after Lydia and her family were saved, they went back to Thyatira and started this church. 
Now, others think that perhaps Lydia's letters she sent back home contained information about her Christian experience, and thus many friends of hers in Thyatira accepted Christ because of her testimony. Now, to be honest, it's hard to say just who started this church, but there's at least a possibility that the testimony of Lydia might have played a part in founding the church there. But be that as it may, one thing is for sure— a woman did play a prominent part in the floundering of the church at Thyatira. This church was made shipwreck over the preachings and the precepts and the practices of a woman. That's exactly right, Dad. And as we get into this letter, just as we've talked about with the other letters, Jesus introduces himself at the start of each letter uh, as he's writing to these churches. And so in each introduction, is slightly different. These introductions are important as they remind us of his attributes and his nature. Uh, but not only that, they also set the tone and reveal the intent of the letter. So uh, as we start to look at this letter, let's look at how Jesus introduces himself to the church at Thyatira. If you've got your Bible, we encourage you to open with us to the book of Revelation chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at verse 18 here. And uh, again, these are red letters. So this is Jesus speaking. It says, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like flames of fire, and his feet like fine brass. Now in this intro, Jesus uses three notable descriptors. I want you to underline them in your Bible. He says he's the Son of God. He says that he has eyes like flames of fire and feet like brass. Looking at that first descriptor, uh, when he says, Son of God, Jesus is reminding his readers of his deity. Mm -hmm. Now, Jesus knew that false teachers, uh, when this letter was written, and even false teachers now would try to degrade him and say that he was simply uh, just a man. Mm -hmm. Maybe he was a, a good teacher or a great prophet, but not the one true God in human flesh. Jesus tells the church that he is the Son of God, and as such, he alone speaks with support. Uh, supreme and final authority. That's exactly right. By calling himself the Son of God, he is making it clear that this woman that was responsible for the floundering of the church, and you'll get her name in just a minute, uh, that she is not dealing with an apostle or a prophet, but one with absolute authority. And uh, this lady that was that was making havoc in the church might claim to have authority over men, but to ignore these words from the Son of God is to claim to have authority over God. So like you said, Matt, Jesus establishes his authority here over the church. That's right. Jesus also says that his eyes are like a flame of fire. Now, the eyes of a flame of fire speak to the penetrating gaze, and fire is often associated with judgment. We see a parallel phrase that happens a little bit lower in our passage today from Revelation chapter 2, verse 23. It says, I am he who searches the minds and the hearts. You know, Dad, if there's one thing I know, it's uh, I know church people. Yeah, I've been around church people all my life. And, and one thing I know about church people is that we're really good at putting on a show. Yeah, We're really good at getting dressed up and tucking a Bible under our arm and presenting ourselves to the world as perfect beings. But we must never forget that the penetrating eyes of our Lord Jesus Christ see us as we really are. If there is sin in our life, God sees it. You may think that you've buried it and that no one knows what you've done. But let me tell you, 
God knows. Friends, if you have sin in your life that's that's not confessed, confess it today. God already knows about it. That's right. And he's waiting for you to bring it to him. Dad, one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture is 1 John 1, 9 that says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I mean, that. amen to that. that right. That's a great verse. So Jesus says, I've got eyes like flames of fire. He's looking into the very hearts, the souls, and the minds of these Christians. He knows their motives. He knows what's driving them to do what they do. He knows their sin. And that should uh, really strike fear in the hearts of everyone that's listening. Jesus goes on to say that he has feet like fine brass. Brass is a metal used in Scripture to symbolize judgment. And as one who has feet as fine brass... And according to, to Revelation 19.15, he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. God can never remain silent and inactive where sin is present. Sin must be judged. And there is coming a day when Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead. The description of the judge having feet like brass tells us his judgment will be strong and righteous. That's right. So... We've seen Jesus' introduction. Now let's look specifically at the message Jesus has for the church at Thyatira. As we look at the letter today and and try to break this apart, we're going to use the the same kind of outline that we've talked about for the last several. We're going to look first at the approval Jesus gives to this church, the accusation, and then finally the appeal. Dad, uh, cover the the approval. That's verse 19 there. That's right. Uh, Jesus says to this church, I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. The church at Thyatira was full of good deeds. Uh, They worked hard for the Lord, this church did. They were involved in sacrificial ministry for the sake of others. And what's more, their works were increasing and characterized by faith, love, and patience. So the church was not guilty of just mere religious activity. So that's a good thing to say about a church, that it was a loving church, and and they did a lot of wonderful works to help other people in Jesus' name. And so that was very commendable. So he did find something uh, to approve of them. That's exactly right, Dad. I, I took note of this as, as you know, being laboring, loving, faithful, patient, and that was increasing. And when you, you compare that to our first letter that we talked about with the church at Ephesus, remember they were a laboring church, but their love was decreasing. Right. And this church is a laboring church, but it seems as their love is increasing. Um, but by that, and their works are they're doing more for uh, the work of Christ. Um, but there's still an issue, and and we're going to see here that Jesus looks again past. Uh, what's on the outside, and he always looks with those eyes of fire and looks to the inside. And let's see what the ac- accusation that Jesus lays on this church. Uh, starting over at verse 20, let's read that together. It says, Nevertheless, that nevertheless is Jesus changing gears here. He's going from approval to disapproval. And he says, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants and to commit sexual immorality and eating uh, things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into her sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death. 
and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts, and I will give to each one according to their works. You know, after hearing Jesus' strong rebuke of the church at Thyatira, it's apparent to see that this church was doing a lot of things right, but Dad, uh, they obviously were missing holiness. Right. And that word, holy, I want to take just a moment and talk about the word holy. I did some research on that today, and you know, I found that the one of the Hebrew words for holy is uh, kodos, and it is translated to our English word of holy, and it means to be separate or set apart. And similar to the church at Pergamos, the congregates at this church, the church here at Thyatira, had failed to separate themselves from false teaching and evil doctrine. Mm-hmm. Notice the words that are used in verse 20. Go back to verse 20 and take a look at this. It says, because you allow. Okay. I uh, see these Christians had not tested every spirit. They did not rightly divide the word of truth as we're called to by Scripture. But instead, they became tolerant of error doctrine failing to call sin, sin, failing to call false teaching, false teaching, and in doing so, they too became corrupted. We spoke at length in our last episode about how a little leaven leavens the whole lump. That's right. And this is again what we see happening in this church. Now, what is their exact downfall? Well, verse 20 tells us a little bit more details. It says that there was a woman, it says that woman, who calls herself a prophetess, Now, she was a false teacher. I'll go ahead and give you the spoiler look there. Had come in and taught, and our Lord says, he uses the word seduced the congregants into sexual immorality and eating things sacrificed to idols. Jesus called this woman Jezebel. Now, we all remember the wicked queen Jezebel, the, the, the wife of King Ahab from 1 Kings and 2 Kings in the Old Testament, Jezebel used false teaching and seduction to lead the Israelites into committing the same sins as part of worship to the false god Baal. She even led an attempt to kill the man of God at the time, Elijah. Now, by the time of Christ's message to the church at Thyatira, the original Jezebel had been dead for nearly a thousand years, but the spirit that moved Jezebel in the Old Testament was still alive and empowering someone else, causing the believers to indulge in immoral practices. Now, the name Jezebel, of of course, which is a name that is also used in the Old Testament, a wicked woman that opposed Elijah and, you know, had brought prophets of Baal, you know, and, and had them to be worshipped instead of the, the true God. Well, that Jezebel reminded uh, Jesus of this woman in the church. So Jezebel may not have been her real name, you know, but he was just referring to her most likely because she was like a Jezebel. For a woman to be called Jezebel is every bit as bad as for a man being called Judas. And the name Jezebel, like I said, fit this troublemaking woman in the church just like a glove. She was the source of the heresy and the the uh, terrible teaching that was going on inside this church that that really got Jesus upset. Now, the church members were sitting back and they were tolerating, they were allowing this wicked woman uh, to lead them into sin, that the sin that Christ describes as the deep things of Satan. Now, uh, 
Let's look at how serious this was in allowing this woman to assume the leadership in their church. The believers at Thyatira exposed themselves to a twofold error. To begin with, they were wrong in principle. Now, the New Testament clearly teaches the headship of a man over the woman. And this is not only for the home, but also the church. But this principle was violated in the church at Thyatira. Verse 20 tells us that they allowed Jezebel, a woman who called herself a prophetess, to teach. Now, uh, through the apostle Paul, the Lord laid down the standard for the church to follow regarding women and their role in the church. And we can read over in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 12 through 14, the apostle Paul said, but I do not allow a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being quite deceived fell into transgression. Now that's what Paul says. Now, this scripture passage isn't saying that a woman can't teach other women or children in Sunday school or pray at church. It's saying that a woman is not to not take the leadership position in the church away from the man who is supposed to be the leader, not only in the home, but the church is to reflect the home. God wouldn't establish a church uh, to do anything different than what he established in the home. And so they were doing wrong and allowing this to take place. Now, in this church at Thyatira, Jezebel was anything but quiet. She was loud, boisterous, and pushy. If there was ever a narcissist, she was one. She was so pushy that Christ said, and she led my bond servants astray. Now, when I think about Jezebel, now, Matt, I'm just going to be honest with you. You, you don't remember this. Uh, in the, the first church I pastored full time, uh, you were born while we were at that church. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think you were just a little less than a year old when we moved. And I stayed at that church for three and a half years. And I was just a real young man. I was straight out of seminary. I did some interim pastorate work. And so I had some experience under my belt in doing that and being a youth minister, but still was very green when it come to understanding how to lead a congregation. But I had a lot of sincerity and love for the Lord like I still have today. And so as a young man, I went there and I, I ran uh, headlong into a woman that tried to be the boss of the church. Mm-hmm. And I tell you, she, she was just terrible. I remember one time we were having a, a ladies' ministry meeting. That's what we call it today. A long time ago, we called it the WMU meeting. Yeah. Uh, and we probably some kind of mission study or something like that. And one little lady asked a question, sweet little old ladies, one of these sweet little old grandmas in the church. And I don't guess she liked that sweet little old grandma asking her a question. She threw a pencil at her. That actually happened in the church. And, uh, you know, I got in trouble with the lady because, you know, I was inviting people to come to the church. She didn't think was the right color of skin, et cetera. You know, she gave me a hard time. And so, you know what I called her the whole time I was there? Jezebel. Jezebel. <laughs> That's right. Well, you may be asking yourself, well, how exactly does a church that was so loving and serving and laboring for Jesus and get that type of of accolade that, that Jesus gave to the church there at the beginning, how in the world was this Jezebel so effective? 
And uh, Dad, as I was thinking about it, the the mode for false teachers really hasn't changed throughout time. Uh-huh. You know, she probably came in and did the same thing that false teachers are still doing today. Mm-hmm. She came in and she began to twist some truths around, and mm-hmm. and it was it was close enough that it sounded like uh, good scripture. It sounded like what. Uh, the the other apostles of Christ had been talking about, right. but she would just kind of twist things just a little bit. It says that she was a prophetess, and so she obviously was going to him and saying, "I've got some new revelation right. that God has told me," mm-hmm. and, and and it's in adding to God's word, and that's still happening today. And and so before long, uh, they just begin to to get enough stuff right that people go, "Well, I don't agree with everything they say, but but they're they're okay." And this church was so loving, they just began to to, to be, uh, you know, they tolerant of it. And right. as that tolerance uh, came, that uh, false teacher, this uh, Jezebel, was able to be more effective, and she continued to twist and turn uh, facts and truths around. And then, before you know it, uh, she ended up uh, compromising and and corrupting the the whole group there. Yeah, you know, just a mere fact that she called herself a prophetess. You know, prophets. Uh, reveal information, you know, that God gives them directly. And so the information that she was giving the church, <coughs> she didn't get that from God. That came from her own sinful heart. Yes. And, you know, dear friend, we're not to add anything to the Word of God. And when people come around you and say, God told me this, well, you, 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 better, you better put what they say to the test. I'm not saying that God can't lead you in a certain way, but now if God told you something, why not put it in Scripture? It's as, it is as close to Scripture as you get because that's what we read in the Bible. you got to be careful about these people said, God told me this, God told me that. I don't even like it. Sometimes preachers get to saying that, say, God told me this, God told me that. Listen, God tells me a lot of things in the Scripture. And uh, and he can, he can give me an impression to do a certain thing, but uh, I, there's only... Been very few times in my life, one in particular, when I felt like I heard a voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to me out loud, and that's when I was doing something I shouldn't do. One time I was a mm-hmm. teenager going to a concert I shouldn't be going to. we got to be wary of these people. There's a lot of folks today in churches that are going around saying, God told me this and God told me that, and people are, are, are taking their word to be the word of God. The word of God is in the Scripture, friend. It is in the Scripture. Now, these people... Uh, they were wrong in principle by allowing this woman to take up spiritual leadership, like the leadership of a pastor. Mm-hmm. But they were wrong in their practice, too. Now, you remember I, I mentioned Thyatira was a union city. I guess it'd be kind of like Chicago or Detroit today. You know, it was yeah. a union city. Uh, unlike unions in America, however, these trade unions put pressure on their members not to just organize as craftsmen, but to come together in great feast. Uh, to uh, idolatrous uh, false gods to uh, and and to give way to idolatry. Now these feasts often include acts of idolatrous worship to these pagan gods, and then after they had eaten and drunk, they would end up uh, the evening by engaging in shameful sexual immoralities. To not go along with what the unions were doing was a sure way back then to be excluded or to lose your job. And because of this, Jezebel persuaded the people to compromise the standards of purity that God set up by going along with the crowd at work 
who committed idolatry and immorality. And many of the people followed her advice and did these things and became guilty of the gravest sins against God and man. Uh, Jezebel's sermons that left room for compromise was the kind that many of the people in Thyatira, they wanted to hear. That's right. They wanted to hear that. And that's the kind that many people want to hear today. And God's going to judge teachers and preachers severely if they're guilty of sugarcoating the commandments of God so they won't offend anyone. Now, folks, I'm a pastor, and I love the people in my congregation, but I'm going to preach the Word of God without compromise. The Bible tells us that we, if we're truly called of God, we're to be instant in season and out of season. And and uh, Matt, I, I believe you'd agree with me because you and I, we, we listen to other messages on the Internet, and we're uh, privy to uh, what's being taught in other churches uh, across our country. Country, and there is so much compromising going on and immorality. I mean, we just we just heard, and I think we might have mentioned it last week about Andy Stanley's church uh, playing a what was it? A Led Zeppelin. A Led Zeppelin song to start out their worship service. Mm-hmm. And you know, uh, Led Zeppelin is a group that was given over to the worship of the devil. That's right. And that is in a church in the house of God. Yeah. And Dad, you said so many things that I, I want to touch on here. Uh, first of which, you know, thinking about this Jezebel, you know, I, I was trying to picture in my mind what was her message, uh, but you could easily see what what that message was as you were talking there. You know, I could see her getting up and saying something like, "Well, you know, we're we're a working church, we're a busy church, and you know, we're giving to the poor and we're doing all these things, and if we're going to continue to do that, we got to be able to make an income." Right. And so, you know, God's told me it's okay if we, you know, do what we got to do so that we can continue to to make an income so that we can then do more work for him, right? You right. could see that slippery little twist of a, a truth that would lead the this congregation down the path of uh, going into the immoral uh, immorality of worshiping these pagan gods. That's right. Uh, and, and I could just see her using that and twisting that uh, of trying to, to play at the, the hearts of these people that really probably wanted to do well in the beginning. But they were led astray by this teacher. Right. You know, today there are there are pastors that stand in the pulpit and they know that their congregation is filled with people that are living together in sexual immorality. Yeah. Uh, but uh, when it comes to the scripture verses that talk about that, skip them. Uh, they skip them or they okay. sugarcoat them because yeah. they don't want to offend those sitting in the pew. Uh, well, uh, you know, we've got to preach the, the word in season and out of season. And uh, sometimes when I, I'm preaching, uh, at the end of my sermon, if, if ever now and then, I mean, I'm just preaching through the Bible and you deal with uh, immorality when it's talked about in the Scripture, and I just say what the Scripture says and, and point it out that it's, it's wrong and it's not God's plan for our life. And, and then at the end of the service, I, I, I have people go by me. I think, ooh, you living together and you living together. You know, I, that, that doesn't have that often, but I'm thinking, uh, well, I didn't see you sitting out there, but, uh, but I'm glad I said that because I— I didn't say it to offend those people, even though I want the Holy Spirit to convict them and help them. But I don't want our young people to miss out on knowing what's right and what's wrong. Mm-hmm. And I and it's, it's important for me, regardless of who's sitting out there, uh, to teach the word about what is uh, moral and what is immoral. Uh, that our young people, because they're not getting that lesson watching television. That's right. And if they're going to get it anywhere, they got to get it from godly mom and daddy, and they got to get it from the church. And if they don't get it from the church, and the mom and dad doesn't teach morality that much, and they allow them to watch filthy stuff on TV, no wonder they go out uh, after being in a youth group for a long time and live together and not be married. That's right. 
The other thing, Dad, that you said that I wanted to touch on is you mentioned about, uh, you know, she being a prophetess and saying that I've got a message from God. And that, that seems to be so prevalent today in, in, in a lot of, um, I'm going to say, mega churches and, and, and some of the, the seeker-friendly churches mm-hmm. uh, where the, the minister gets up and says, you know, God told me to tell you this today. And and I always just kind of cringe when I hear that. You know, I, I strongly believe that God speaks to us through his word. Yes. Um, I, there's been definite times where I've been studying, whether it's for the podcast or something I was going to do. And I, I just felt like God was leading me in a certain direction. That, sure. You know, I right. need to talk on this. But I feel that way. But just to be so cavalier about it and say that God told me to tell you this and it then proceeds out of their mouth to be nothing that it actually is in Scripture. Right. You know, it, it's some self-help, you know you know, type of, of jargon that they, they spit out there. So I would just encourage uh, our listeners to be careful of that. The other thing that I would uh, tell you is, you know, obviously if you're listening to us, you probably are listening to other people. And I would encourage you to uh, be careful and to test. Uh, the, the Bible says test every spirit to see whether it's of God or not, and also to make sure that you're rightly dividing the word of truth. And so look at who you're listening to, look at what they're teaching and that should tell you whether they're preaching the whole Word of God. I do this from time to time when I'm looking at a minister or a speaker. I'll go to their website if they have one, and I'll just look at their messages. And you can look at the titles. Mm-hmm. You can look at the Scripture. And you'll get very quickly to see whether that person's you know preaching the whole Word of God or if they're just preaching kind of one slant or they're you know they're just a, a feel good positive uh, message type type uh, minister. You can see that pretty evidently, and so I would encourage you guys to, to to look at that. The other thing that I would say is we talked about the spirit of Jezebel. You know, Jesus when he was uh, talking again, we've already alluded to the fact that this wasn't the Jezebel um, that was in the Old Testament, and it probably wasn't even a woman named Jezebel, but it was that same spirit. It was that evil uh, spirit, uh, a counterfeit experience uh, that the devil likes to put in front of Christians that was driving this uh, woman to, to lead these Christians astray. And, uh, you know, it was alive then, and I just want to make sure everyone understands that it's alive and it's well today. That's right. And the Spirit of Jezebel is still there, and you're, you're, you're still going to find false preachers, you're still going to find prophetess, you're still going to find these folks that want to take the truths of God, they want to twist them slightly and give you a half-truth and then mix in some of their own stuff in there and and to lead people astray. And, you know, Dad, it's it's one of those things where uh, you know it's been on my mind a little bit more that we need to be uh, we need to be more active we need to be more careful we need to be uh, really focusing in on doctrinal uh, matters and making sure that we're being doctrinally sound um, and, and testing things because you know this church again I don't think this church started and said hey let's be a compromising church. Right. Right. That was not their goal. I don't think so. I, no. I, I don't think, you know, if they had a mission statement or if they had, you know, bylaws or whatever it was, it didn't say that was the goal of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were a loving church. They were a compassionate church. They were a working church. But at some point they let it creep in and they, they were not being careful. They were not watching out for it. And I feel like many of our churches today and many Christians today, we, we kind of let our guard down mm-hmm. and, and we're just letting whatever comes in, in at us. And if it's sold at the Christian bookstore, it must be good. Oh, yeah. That yeah. ain't the case. Yeah. That, that is not the case. You had the experience recently. You went to, to a bookstore and, uh, and and just saw some some books and some literature there that you just made you scratch your head. Why in the world would they be selling that? There? That's exactly right. I tell you what, if it wasn't the only Christian bookstore in Upstate, I wouldn't be there. That's right. <laughs> because I, I, I just think that they have a responsibility, if they, they bear the name Christian, uh, to uh, sell books that 
are edifying and 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 not's going to pull you back. You know, I, I think about our Christian experience like a set of steps. We th- we can either go up the steps and get closer to God, and uh, and you know do what God asks us to do and and love Jesus more and more, or we can compromise our convictions and we can go down the steps. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, unless I fall down the steps, I don't go down five or six steps at one time. I take it one step at a time. That's right. And that's what's happening in a lot of uh, Christians' lives today. They're compromising a little here and a little there, a little here, a little there. And uh, in, in, a, in a period of time, they've compromised and they've went way away from where God would have them to be. That's exactly right. So I'd encourage all of our listeners to, again, test what you're listening to, test what you're watching. And just because it's on a Christian broadcast channel on TV doesn't mean that it's it's Christian. Uh, it doesn't mean that it's of, of the Spirit of God. And so you, you really have to test that. Same thing can be said for the Internet Waves, podcast, books, you name it. Uh, we need to be very careful because... Um, you know, Satan loves loves to to put a counter, counterfeit Christianity out there and deceive Christians into it. Yeah. I, I mean, that's his main goal. That, that to me, I think Satan's just that's his joy right there to be able to trick a Christian into believing uh, a false teacher and leading them away from the true uh, doctrines of the Bible. That's right. You know, Matt, uh, just thinking about uh, the compromising and its connection with sexual immorality as being a pastor you know i've talked to people through the years and you know they might be uh, living together and not be married and you know that's that's immorality and uh and when i get around them and they get to thinking about it they want to talk about it well you know i prayed about it now i i I think it's okay right now because we we don't have the money to get married right now and we want to have a big wedding and i prayed about it and uh, and we've made our personal commitment to each other, but yet they hadn't signed those no document saying they're married. Sure. You know what I'm saying? So we prayed about it. You know, just because you pray about it and just because you get a, a feeling after you pray that uh, it's something's all right to do doesn't mean that it's all right to do. If that feeling's telling you do something against God's words, contrary to what God's already said. That's right. Yeah. You know? Yeah, any any time you you feel like you've got confirmation of something and it goes against God's word, that that, that is not from God. And, and you know that, that could that could have been Jezebel. She could have said, "Then listen, now uh, I know uh, we've got half of our congregations uh, could lose their jobs this week because there's going to be this great feast and 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 we're going to be expected to go." And I prayed about it, and I think it's all right under the circumstances. Yeah, you know. Oh yeah. I, the, the other one that I thought about is. You know, uh, the, the mode for uh, for Christians um, in recent years is that we need to to be more like the world so that we can reach the world, right? Right. You know, this is it was a loving, working church. I wonder if she told them, you know, well, hey, you know, if, if we go and, and, and we participate, you know, we don't really believe in all that stuff, we may have a chance to win them over. Right. right. That's right. <laughs> and th- that's just a trap. It was a lie from the start uh, that they were going to fall into, into that. So. Yeah, just interesting stuff here about the spirit of, of Jezebel. And again, for our listeners, just remember that that, that spirit uh, still exists. And, you know, if, if there are false teachers uh, here in, in the Bible and in the times of when— First century. Uh, first century, then you better believe there's false teachers today, probably more, um, th- th- that are out and about. And so— I just want you to be careful uh, that, that not everything that's labeled as, as Christianity is true Christianity, and not every every person who uh, says they have a message 
um, is a message that's that's from God, and that's, that's right. uh, just something to be very careful with. Well, we need to to move on. I want us to look over at verse twenty one, and in verse twenty one, we see that the Lord gave the false prophetess a time to repent. Yet she re- refused, and and by writing this letter, now Jesus was giving her followers an opportunity to repent as well. His eyes of fire had searched their thoughts and their motives, and he would make no mistake in judgment. In fact, the Lord threatened in verse 23 to use this assembly as a solemn example to all churches not to tolerate evil. You'll notice in that verse 23, he mentions, he says uh, there that all churches shall know. Uh, he wanted to make sure that that this was something that uh, was taken serious by churches, and we should take serious as we're reading this letter today. Uh, idolatry and compromise is pictured in the Bible as fornication and unfaithfulness uh, to a marriage vow. Notice in verse 22, Jesus used the term adultery to describe the sins that were committed. Remember, all throughout the Bible, this marriage analogy is used. We're referred to as Christians as the bride of Christ. And any time that we're doing uh, something that goes against uh, Christ and we're, we're working with other uh, religion or we're doing some other type of worship to a, to a little g God, uh, that is viewed in God's eyes, as adultery, we, we're, we're going against the vow that we, we've made to him that, hey, you're Lord, you're my one, you're my supreme, but yet I'm going to go over here and do this uh, on the side. And so um, for Jezebel and her followers that did not repent, Jesus said that he would sentence them to tribulation and death. Ultimately, uh, Jesus would turn Jezebel's bed of sin into a bed of sickness, and he would judge the false prophetess and her followers once and for all. And so that takes us through the accusation, and now we want to look at the appeal, verses 24 through 29. Dad, can you read those verses for us? Uh, Starting at verse 24, Jesus said, Now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels, as I also have received from my father. And I will give him the morning star. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's right. So we here we have the appeal that's made uh, to the Christians. What I find interesting here, Dad, is uh, all throughout Scripture, we know that there's always been kind of this remnant. Uh, there's always been this uh, this little bit of God's people that's left. And we see, uh, even here in this church, that there was a remnant. There was a group of uh, believers that hadn't fallen in and hadn't uh, taken part in uh, this uh, wickedness. And Jesus talks to, to them, and he says to them that, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give any type of condemnation to you. Um, I'm not going to add any other burden to you is the way that he uses the words there uh, to them because they had not fallen in. They had not gone into the depths of Satan as many of their other uh, congregation members had. He also gives the appeal that they need to hold fast to what they have until I come. Mm-hmm. And so basically, uh, you can see the, the picture here of, of uh, these Christians. They're holding on to a rope, if you will. Right. And uh, they're, they're all, already at the end of the rope. 
And that is really all of us as Christians. We're, we're holding on in this world of, of sin and struggle. We're holding on to the rope. Uh, and that rope is Jesus and our salvation and our faith. And Jesus says, don't let go. Mm-hmm. You know, hold on to what you have and hold on to that until I come. Ultimately, Jesus is going to come again, and he's going to take us out of here. And uh, when he comes a, a second time, he's going to judge, as we talked about in the in the, the previous verses there, those uh, who are sinners. And that's going to be the false prophetess and, again, all of her, her followers as well. Hey, man, I want to add to that. Now, we know that when Jesus comes back, he's going to judge people. And, of course, there are going to be churches like Thyatira, this church, you know, uh, right there when Jesus comes back. Yes, these this was a literal church that was, you know, in the first century. But uh, these churches, uh, the different churches are seen today. They're Ephesus-type churches right. and, and uh, Pergamos-type churches and Thyatira-type churches. So we know he's going to judge when he comes back. But I tell you what, God can judge people today. I remember I was pastoring, this was my second pastorate, and I had a revival service, and I had uh, a great revival speaker, and there were a lot of people that made decisions for Jesus, and I had a great baptism afterwards, uh, just a a genuine Holy Spirit-led revival. Well, uh, there were two men on the deacon board that they were not what they should be, and we got together, there was only seven of them and me, and... Uh, those two men started talking bad about the revival. I guess they didn't like it because the preacher preached a little bit longer than they thought he should preach. And, you know, uh, they just they insinuated that that was not of God, that that preacher and his message was not of God. And they got out there in, in the community where I was pastoring and they started uh, trying to work against me and the church. And that didn't go on long, just a few days and it turned out that both of them wound up in the hospital, one in Winston-Salem and one in Lexington. And both of them were in the heart center at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I visited both of them on the same day. Yeah. And then when I went to see the second one, I gave him a report on the first one, his old buddy, partner in crime. Yeah. And I didn't say anything about the evil that they were doing, but God got their attention because they were both isn't it interesting in heart centers at two different hospitals. And you know what their real problem was? It was their spiritual heart, Mm -hmm. their spiritual heart. And they got it. They didn't give me no more problems. God can judge people physically on earth. I had one, a guy one time that, uh, in another church, uh, there's people like this in every church in another church. And, and he was doing, had, had some, uh, doing some ugly things. And, and I was shaking hands with people is, uh, uh, folks left the church. That's you know common kind of customary in Baptist churches, particularly if there's only one door. You know, uh, you come right by the preacher and he shakes everybody's hand and speaks to everybody. I love that. And this guy, uh, he come by and I stuck out my hand to shake his hand, and he said, "I only shake hands with gentlemen." I want you to know, within about ten days, he got where he couldn't move his right mm-hmm. hand. That's right. And then he come out the door the next time. We didn't have no more problems about him shaking hands. God got his attention. That's right. I tell you what, God will judge you. That's right. And uh, you, you play around with God. He will chasten his children. And, you know, there's even such thing as a sin unto death mm-hmm. that the Bible says. You can continue to sin and sin until uh, God gives you a dishonorable discharge. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, look at verse 23 there. It says, I will kill her children with death and all the churches shall know that I am he that searches uh, the minds and the hearts. 
and and, and I will give to each one according to uh, your works. Um, we were just talking about it, you know, Dad, before we started recording here, is that obviously, as we know, Jesus is going to come a second time, right? And He's going to judge those that who are dead and who are alive. And uh, but as you said, I believe that very much was true that there was going to be a literal reckoning uh, that would happen to that prophetess uh, and her followers uh, there in real time. Uh, God judges uh, here and now, uh, just as He will uh, in the future. So um, that's one thing to consider. You know that that uh, living in a in a life of sin and, and just thinking that you're going to just get away with it. Uh, you know, remember, God is just, and as I said in the intro, where sin is, uh, God can't just be inactive and do and not do anything about it. Sin's going to be judged, mm-hmm. and it may be judged here on this earth, or it may be judged, you know, in eternity. But it's going to be judged. It'd be better to be judged here than in eternity. I that's, guarantee. That's right. That's right. Well, Dad, I was looking here at verse twenty-six, and he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. And then it referenced verse 27 here. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, this is actually the first mention of the millennial reign in the book of Revelation here. We're talking about Jesus uh, saying to those who are faithful, those who follow his commands, those that don't get into the depths of Satan, as uh, he referred to it, uh, those who uh, live a Christian life, they're going to be rewarded uh, as we get into eternity. That millennial reign is that thousand-year period uh, where we're going to reign with Christ. And uh, those of us who are born-again believers um, are going to be given responsibilities and we're going to be given uh, overseer uh, roles uh, here on on Earth uh, during that millennial reign. And uh, if you'd like more information about that, I encourage you to go back to listen to our Coming King uh, podcast that we did back at the beginning of last year. We have a whole uh, section of of messages there on that millennial reign. Uh, but that's the promise that he makes uh, to those who overcome, that they will be rewarded um, not only will they be rulers, but verse uh, that goes on to say that they will receive my father and I will give uh, him the morning star. Now, we know morning star is always a reference to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, this this tells me that for for believers, we're going to be so close to Christ that he, he's going to belong to us. Right. right? He's going to be given to us. And mm-hmm. so. Uh, that's real encouraging there uh, to to keep us going strong and uh, keep us from trying to avoid uh, false teaching. Well, this uh, kind of brings us to the end of our, our episode today. I just want to, in way of wrap up, um, just encourage you once more uh, to remember that uh, false teaching and false teachers and bad doctrine uh, is alive and well, and it is everywhere. And so I want you to, to uh, as a faithful uh, podcast listener and a, hopefully a faithful Christian, I want you to test what you're listening to, what you're watching, the church you're going to, and make sure that they are rightly dividing the word of truth and that they are preaching the whole word of God and not just the pieces that uh, are the feel-good pieces or the pieces that don't uh, speak out against today's culture right. and sin in our world. Uh, you need to be in a Bible-believing church that believes the whole Word of God. And so I just encourage you to, to think about that, meditate on this uh, this Word, and I encourage you to join us next week. When we join next week, we're going to be talking about the dead church. Mm-hmm. And goodness knows we've got a bunch of those uh, in today's times as well. And so we'll be looking at what Jesus has to say to the church at Sardis when we come back next time. Dad, if you will, pray us out of here. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for loving us, and we do love you. 
And we thank you, Lord, for giving Matt and I this this opportunity to talk to the podcast audience about the church at Thyatira. There's so much that we can learn from them, our Heavenly Father, and uh, to always uh, take what someone says to us and check it by the Word of God. Uh, Lord, to be aware of, of a compromising uh, teaching in the church and also uh, to be aware of the temptations that the devil will give us to compromise and take those steps downward instead of taking those steps upward to get closer to you. Forgive us, Lord, for where we failed you, O oh God, and, and use us for your glory and help us to stand for you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bonfire Podcast. We encourage you to subscribe wherever you stream your podcast content. Also, be sure to rate us on iTunes and Facebook so that others will know about the podcast. If you have a question that you'd like to see us address on an episode, feel free to email us at bonefireministries at gmail.com.